0: Well good morning. How's everyone doing? There are so many faces in here. It's very exciting. All right. How are y'all doing this morning? It is hot out there. Connie, am I still good for you? All right. All right. Well, um, I hope y'all are surviving the heat. Uh, I know it's been hot this week and as I w- it was reminding A couple summers ago, if you remember, we were having a summer, in 2016, we had a summer, we had multiple days, all over 100 consecutively, and at the time, I was living in an apartment in northeast Portland, and I lived on the second floor, and we had no air conditioning, and there were five of us living in a 900-square-foot apartment. And I think it really tests your limits when it's uh, sweltering hot and there are five of you in a confined space and you really learn what each other is made of. and so we, we were just enduring this really hot heat, and I'm, I'm from the desert, I actually really like the heat, but it was very hot. And we had a party, I think we had a birthday party, I can't remember what this party was for, but we packed about 15 more people into our apartment, and it hit 100. It was 100 degrees out. 20 people in our apartment, and it was just stifling, just sweltering. And I knew I was thinking, you know, at the beginning of the party, we could do this. We we could do this. We could like push through and still enjoy ourselves. Until I looked over, and if you remember Curtis Bell and Zach Munoz, they had pulled all of the meat out of my freezer and had laid it on top of them and were just holding perfectly still on my couches with meat, just adorned in meat everywhere. And I thought, oh, okay, we've reached a new level. This is, this is not good. Um, And so the next morning, I was telling Amanda Renzi, if you remember the Renzies, I was telling Amanda Renzi this, and like, oh my gosh, I was going to do this other, you know, party gathering later, but I don't want to go through a whole other pack of meat, and I feel (laughs) gross about the meat I already have, and I don't know whether I'm going to cancel or not, and she said, oh, no worries, my, I think her dad, my dad gave us this window air conditioner and we're not using it right now. We'll bring it over and we'll install it in your apartment. You can use it." I thought, oh my gosh, these people are wonderful. Uh, This is what the church does. And so they came over and they installed it and oh my goodness, it made life so much better. And they commented to me that, you know, we love you. And so we're, you know, we want to give this air conditioning unit to you. uh, But we also are, you know, we also have in mind all the people from church who are going to be in your apartment. So we're doing it for their benefit as well. And it was a a really uh, startling picture to me of how when we give generously to each other, everyone benefits you know not just me and my four roommates but uh, but everyone who was in and out of my apartment that that summer benefited from the Renzi's generosity and that give and take that mutuality and thinking about the impact on the whole uh, is really what we're going to be talking about today in 2nd Corinthians 8 so if you want to turn there with me you can Um, I'm going to read through we're going to be in chapter 8 through a little bit of chapter 9 so I'm going to read through that for us So here we go. 2 Corinthians 8 says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our... They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. But I'm not commanding you, I'm not commanding you, but I want to prove the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your, your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others would be relieved while you're hard pressed, but that there might be a quality. At this present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who's praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism we administer this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we're sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in the many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, my partner and co-worker among you, and as for the brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Acacia were the, ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred up most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be, uh, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. And then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So I know that's a, a long passage. That's, that's a big chunk we're going to be dealing with this morning. Uh, but through. You probably heard uh, giving and generosity repeated over and over. Give willingly, give earnestly uh, over and over. And the big idea I think Paul is really pressing on the Corinthians is that we should give generously to the Lord's people so that all believers are cared for equally, so that everyone's taken care of equally and everyone's needs are met. So in your Bibles, you might see these broken down into paragraphs. Um, So the first paragraph, you probably saw Paul putting forth these two examples of the Macedonians and Jesus. And how the Corinthians should follow those examples of generosity and take a lesson from those examples. And then in the second section we're going to look at, it talks about how generosity is God's tool for storing equality and justice among God's people. So Paul doesn't just tell them, you should do this. He explains why and what it accomplishes and how God uses that. And then lastly, he doesn't just tell them to you know pick themselves up by their bootstraps and suck it up and do it. He says, no, we're surrounding you with people who are going to help you and cheer you on. And there's a whole cheerleading squad of people who are, get, who are confident you can do this and are excited to see you do it and to see you do the right thing. So let's uh, dive into that first section and and really pay attention to uh, what Paul draws out about the Macedonians' example of generosity and Jesus' example of generosity. So that first section says, "'And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity.'" For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. So we urged Titus, not ju- uh, just as he had made, earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to prove the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is the example of Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others would be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but there would be equality. So let's look at these uh, two examples Paul gives. And I think he's actually really giving three examples. Uh, But the two obvious ones are the Macedonians and Jesus. And Paul shows, gives us a couple different characteristics or things the Macedonians do that he points the Corinthians to and says, Wow, this is really great. This This is true generosity. Uh, God gave them grace to be generous and to give to God's people generously. Uh, This idea of God's grace enabling our generosity comes up a lot through this passage. And it's this idea that God's grace empowers us or gives us the ability to be generous in the first place. Uh, Paul seems to think that generosity is not natural to people. <laughs> it's not na- it doesn't come naturally to the world because it's not intuitive to give away your stuff and to give away what you have. Uh, but God is the one who enables that, who provokes that generosity in us. And that's what the Macedonians did. They received God's grace, they experienced God's grace, and it overflowed in their lives in the form of generosity. They gave with joy despite severe trial and poverty. And they, uh, they despite their circumstances, uh, willingly and joyfully gave to the point that they were so excited about giving, they asked permission. Oh my goodness, can we please participate in that? They thought that was something uh, exciting and an honor to participate in. They thought it was a privilege And then lastly, they gave of themselves. Paul says they gave of themselves first to God. They trusted God to provide for all their needs and that God would take care of them being generous. And then they trusted themselves to Paul and were generous because they loved Paul and they trusted that Paul saw this need. And oh my goodness, we should respond in generosity. And then Paul also talks about Jesus' example And I think this is really helpful, the contrast between Jesus' example, maybe not the contrast, but just the difference between Jesus' example and the Macedonians' example. Paul is pointing to the Macedonians because it sounds like they gave financially. And Paul says, wow, that's a great expression of generosity is to give of your finances. And then he turns to Jesus and says, another expression of generosity is how Jesus gave. You know, Jesus didn't give us His money to make us rich. It was a different kind of wealth that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us his presence, his precious presence. He gave us his time. He dwelt among us. He gave us his energy and his passion uh, to the point that he gave us his lifeblood, his very life. He gave us his standing or his status with God. And Jesus gave us uh, what we had what what he had in exchange for what we had, and he didn't just talk about giving you know Jesus didn't just preach about giving uh, or generosity he gave us everything everything he had and so that those two expressions of generosity are really helpful that Paul says find a way to be generous just like them whether it's uh, financial giving or whether it's giving of your presence your time your status uh, your energy your passion your life and because Jesus enriched us by becoming poor in those areas And then finally, I think subtly, Paul talks about this third example of the Corinthians themselves. And as I was reading through this this chapter, it can be easy to, I think, see Paul putting down the Corinthians and kind of doing these subtle backhanded compliments. It's kind of like, Paul, what are you doing there? That doesn't seem very nice. But paul actually calls out what he's already seen in them and what he already knows about them and so he says the macedonians were so inspired by your giving because you gave in the first place and they were so inspired by that it inspired them to give generously just like you were generously giving And So Paul acknowledges and recognizes, no, I know this is important to you. I know you're passionate about this. I know you're capable of this. I know you're good at it. And I want you to excel in it and continue to excel in it just like you were. And because the Macedonians were inspired by you, I believe, Paul is saying, I I believe you can do this. And so he's really calling them out to be who they are and finish strong and be like Jesus and be like the Macedonians because he believes they can. Uh, but Paul provides, I think, this really gracious and helpful caveat that uh, if they don't think they can be gracious like Jesus or gracious like the Macedonians and give more than they're able, Paul says, that's okay. Let's start somewhere. If they don't feel like they can give to the extent the Macedonians give, gave or give to the extent that Jesus gave, uh, Paul says, that's okay. Give what you're able. You're responsible to give what you have, not what you don't have. Uh, so Paul, prov- I think this caveat is really gracious on Paul's part. It's not a put down, but an encouragement that giving what you have is admirable. And there's no expectation of you to um, give beyond what you're able. Paul's much more concerned about them giving willingly Uh, rather than giving out of obligation, or giving out of for some other reason. And he's more interested that they give willingly and excitedly, like the Macedonians did and Jesus did. And that's where he wants them to start, start somewhere. Uh, But with that caveat is the the clarifier that giving and generosity is not optional. That giving and generosity is uh, is not optional it's not extra credit for christians to do just to you know get some extra bonus points it's an integral part of it's an integral part of the christian life it's a spiritual discipline he's showing them just like we talked about in first corinthians how you are great at knowledge and spiritual gifts and tongues and all these things you're really good at all these other spiritual gifts i want you to get really good at generosity uh, my mom calls that exercising the spiritual muscle, and and working that out. So he says, "You're great at these things. We don't need more cardio. We need more leg day. You're, you're, we want to practice these things. Practice generosity in this way. Uh, so it's let's." You don't have to give to the measure that Jesus or the Macedonians did, even though Paul says, I think you really can. I think you're capable of it. But if you don't feel you can do that willingly, let's start somewhere because not giving, not being generous is not an option. It's a spiritual discipline. It's integral to being a Christian. So that's the first section. And so Paul has given them the, the charge of, I know this is in you. I know you can do it. I've seen it before. Be, be who I know you are. And he doesn't leave it at that. He then gives them the reason why generosity matters, what generosity accomplishes. So let's look at that second section in verse 11. He says, Now finish the work so that, you do, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. According to your means for if the willingness is there the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed But that there might be a quality at this at the present time your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn Their plenty will supply what you need The goal is a quality as it's written The one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little So Paul here is explaining why generosity matters. Generosity is God's tool for establishing equality and justice in his family and in the world. And in a world where uh, God has chosen not to remove suffering and injustice, we need equality and we need justice. And generosity is the way in which God brings that to the world through his people. Uh, generos- generosity is the tool that God used for, uses for restoring that among his people, and this goes back to the conversation of gifts that we 've been having about all through First Corinthians um, that gifts uh, are for providing for and healing and refreshing god 's people in First Corinthians four, Paul asked them in talking about spiritual gifts, uh, what do you have that you didn 't receive?" If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? And so just like in 1 Corinthians when we were talking about spiritual gifts and, and the skills and gifts God's given you to build up God's church, the material gifts that God gives us are for building up the church and they're for building up the community. I think uh, that difference, uh, for me, is a little hard to uh, wrap my head around because spiritual gifts are very easy to equate to coming from God because we literally call them spiritual gifts. They come from God. Uh, But material gifts, I think, is easy for me to feel like, no, the things I have, I worked hard for and I earned, and so I have a right to them. But Paul says, oh no, when you join the church, you enter a whole different economy with a whole different alien set of rules and ways in which God has set up the world. And uh, with that, Paul says, no, what you have, you don't have a right to because it's a gift. How can you have a right to a gift God has given us, just like God has given us spiritual gifts, God is, the things we have, the material things we have, are gifts from God as well. And they're designed to build up each other, to build up the church. And so that's a pretty radical idea um, that Paul is trying to make. And he's saying that, I, I'm not saying that so that you suffer. I'm not saying you should give of what you have Uh, to the point that you are hard-pressed in suffering and others can relax. That's not the point. The point is equality. And rather, what are the things we have are for refreshing each other. Um, Generosity, I think Paul is showing us that generosity absorbs the impact of evil by interrupting the cycle of suffering with relief and love. That's pretty out there. That's pretty crazy that God uses generosity to step in the gap where injustice has happened and say, no, injustice stops with me. And I'm going to interrupt this cycle of suffering uh, by providing relief and love. And that does not happen in the world. That is not natural to the world. That only happens by God's power and God's grace in us to allow us to have the strength to do that. But that's why generosity is so radical, because it has the power to interrupt injustice and to interrupt suffering by providing relief and love. And that is, that's kind of crazy. And so to back, that, uh, to back that crazy claim up, Paul, tells, Paul quotes this story about manna. Uh, he quotes the, um, this story. He says, The one who gathered too much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And Paul is just saying this little quote to remind us of this bigger story. Uh, If you remember in Exodus, when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, and God does these incredible wonders to rescue them from slavery, and he rescues them out of Egypt, and they're leaving Egypt, and they're singing this big, uh, climactic, triumphant song about celebrating God's triumph over Egypt. And, And this is a big marker in Israel's history that God has rescued us. God has done these amazing things out of his love for us, and he brought them out of Egypt, and they're singing, and then uh, they actually run out of water, and so God miraculously provides them water. I mean, it's just like miraculous thing after miraculous thing after miraculous thing, showing God's love for them, and he brings them to this paradise uh, that exodus 15 at the end of exodus 15 it describes as having 70 palm branches uh, 70 palm trees and it's like this oasis god has brought them out of slavery into this good oasis where there's water and shade and relief and hope of what life could look like after this and they're there three days and they start complaining and they start accusing god of not caring about them because now they're out of food and if god really cared about them he would have provided them food he would have thought ahead to pack their lunch and would have put food ahead for them and would have taken care of them and he really must not care and they start accusing god with in this unjust way accusing god of not loving or caring about them and they turn on God. In this oasis, in this beautiful paradise God has given them, they turn on God and Moses and say, you don't care, and they start accusing God. And God hears them, and he has compassion, and he steps in the gap of the injustice they've done against him. And he says, okay, I'm going to generously provide for all of your needs. And that's where we pick this story up in Exodus 16. The Lord says to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread that the Lord gave you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, "No one's to keep any of it until morning." However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots, and it began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. So this is a very interesting story where the, the Israelites <laughs> accuse God unjustly of not caring about them, and He steps in the gap and He says, "I'm going to interrupt, interrupt your suffering with relief." and love through my generosity, and generously provide for what you need. And not only am I going to provide for what you need, I'm going to make sure everyone has every, exactly what they need. And so he told them to fill these jars or cans. I don't know what an omer is, and I don't know that it exactly matters. Um, but God told them, I know exactly what you need. You need one, one can's worth. You need one jar's worth of manna and that will perfectly meet all of your needs and so just gather what you need and by doing that he implicitly he implies you have to trust me that I know what you need and so just trust me that I know what you need and I'm going to meet your needs and only gather what you need and don't hoard the rest. Don't be greedy and take more than you need. Because in taking more than what you need, you very possibly may take from your brother or your sister what they need. So I know what you need. Only gather what you need. And so they had to trust God to gather what they need. And they clearly didn't. They, they hoarded it. And they were greedy and they, they didn't trust God that you know what I need. I know what I need. And I'll keep what I have and they hoarded it. And Paul looks back on this story and he sees immediately, he sees God's generosity and how it interrupted their suffering with love and relief. And really what they had was what they needed. And God provided exactly what they needed. Um, And he provided it equally for all of them. Uh, Timothy Keller in his book Generous Justice uh, explains this story and Paul's interpretation of the story in a really helpful way I think he says even though some were more able gatherers of manna than others all manna was distributed equitably so that no one received too much or too little for their needs Paul interprets this as an abiding principle for how we're to deal with God's material blessings for us he likens our money to manna Paul teaches that the money we have is as much of a gift of God, as the manna was a gift to the Israelites in the desert. Though some are more able gatherers, that is, some are better at making money than others, the money you earn is a gift of God. Therefore, the money you make must be shared to build up community. So whether wealthier believers must share with the poor ones, not only within a congregation, but also across congregations and borders. And to extend the metaphor, money that's hoarded for oneself rots the soul. Mm. Just like when the Israelites hoarded more manna than God said they needed. It rot. It grew maggots. It stank. Um, And I would extend what Timothy Keller here says to all material possessions. That what God has given us is a gift. And he knows exactly what we need. And hoarding more uh, rots the soul. I think that's really well said. And so that's what Paul is backing up, this crazy claim that generosity is God's tool for establishing equity and justice in his family. And that's why it's so important. And not only is it so important does he say, you know, buck up and let's do this. You said you would and so you better. Uh, but he surrounds them with people who are going to help them and cheer them on and help them figure it out and, and hear their concerns. They clearly have second thoughts. They clearly have doubts. They clearly have concerns about, ah, oh, is this a good idea? I know we thought it was a good idea, but is it really a good idea? And they're going to send these guys to hear those out and to address them and to help them be able to give willingly. And so he talks about Titus, who's willing and enthusiastic. He has the Paul-level concern for them, and he's excited to come see them. He sends them the two brothers who are representatives of the church. And I think this is a a gracious way of saying they're going to be your accountability. They're going to help you figure out how to do this, and they're going to report back to the other churches how, how you were generous. And who are in honor to Christ. I think that's another way of saying they're trustworthy. You can trust them to help you. And then lastly, he says Paul himself and Timothy are confident in them. When I don't know if you've had this experience where you were either telling a mentor or a parent or someone you really looked up to, I have this decision to make. I have these two choices. These are the pros. These are the cons. These are the consequences of what will result. And and what should I do? And, and especially if it's a decision where you feel like uh, this is what the Bible says about this decision. I really want to do what's, um, what honors God. And if you've ever had the experience where that parents or mentor or somebody turned, heard you out and heard those concerns and heard those hesitations and then said, I, I trust you to do what's right. I'm confident you're gonna do the right thing because I know you and I know you love Jesus and I know you know what's right and I, and I believe you're gonna do the right thing. You don't need me to explain this anymore to you. You have everything you need from the Holy Spirit to do what's right. It's very empowering. It's, it creates trust, and it's very reaffirming. And I think that's exactly what Paul and Timothy are saying, is that you don't need to, us to explain any more about why it's important to give, why these fellow brothers and sisters need your generosity, how your generosity will meet their needs. You don't need me to go into that in any more detail, because I know you, and I'm confident you're going to do the right thing. And so as we hear Paul uh, express and urge and encourage the Corinthians to be who he knows they are and to live out the things he knows they're passionate about, I think we can take the same encouragement from him in that we should give generously to the Lord's people so that all believers are cared for equally, so that everyone's taken care of, everyone's needs are taken care of equally, um, and give to each other. Some truths I think Paul really draws out here are that we should give generously to God's work and God's people. Now, reversely, uh, I think it's the same would be true of we should gratefully receive from God and God's people. You know, at, at different points in life, we're on either you know we're on either side of the giving or the receiving end. And sometimes we need to be willing to receive blessings and generosity and gifts from God and God's people. And, but Paul says to the Corinthians, at this point in life, you're on the giving end. You have the opportunity to give. So give generously to God's work and God's people. And he provides that helpful caveat, that gracious caveat, that we should give what we promise. You know, the Corinthians promised that they would be generous in this giving effort. And Paul says, yes, if you promise to be generous, make good on that promise. Don't just talk about giving. Don't just talk about being generous. Be generous. But we should only promise what we have, not what we don't have. The gifts God's give, God gives us are for giving to others. And so if God doesn't give you something, it's not for you to give to others. Uh, but we sh- and we should just give what we have and not what we don't have. I think this is a helpful caveat because it provides this uh, wisdom and this wise aspect of looking at generosity. Um, and as I was, I was thinking through Paul's caveat here, I was thinking, you know, I think what Paul's saying is, uh, he's saying don't put yourself in debt. By, don't, put, don't let your generosity put yourself in debt. Um, don't be so generous. Don't generously give away your paycheck and then not be able to, pay, not be able to feed your kids. Don't uh, put yourself in a position to need generosity. You know, don't foolishly put yourself in a position to need generosity and thereby take, you know, resources away from what maybe somebody else actually needed. And just the idea that our actions really do impact each other. And there needs to be give and take in relationships with each other. Uh, and there's wisdom in knowing the difference between what God has given us uh, for what we need and what he's given us to give to each other. So, give what we promise, but only promise what we have and not what we don't have. And then, uh, secondly, generosity is the tool through which God fosters equality in his family and through which he brings justice to the world. And so, because the world needs justice and we need equality, generosity is not optional, it's not extra credit for Christians. Uh, and that idea is just kind of prickly. Uh, it's kind of uncomfortable uh, to think that the surplus, the extra we get from God, the abundance we get from God is for each other. Uh, and his grace empowers that is just an uncom- is uncomfortable because um, it's a different way of viewing equality than I'm used to. It's a, different par- it's a paradigm shift on equality than I think of equality. You know, I'm tempted to think of equality as a, a one-to-one transaction that i work hard you work hard and we get the same thing Um, but paul turns that on his head and he says no equality is not fair equality is you giving uh, what you have to meet somebody else's needs and then when you're in need them giving what they have to meet your needs and that's that's paul just acknowledges that's not fair but it is good and just because it's not fair doesn't mean it's not good and I think just the idea of giving away our stuff is a foreign idea, um, and it's counterintuitive. It's uh, not what we would expect. I had um, I, in college. I took a couple American literature classes, and where we were studying, like, what are the the codes and creeds that really make Americans Americans. And going all the way back to reading literature um, all throughout America's history. And I had a professor say, um, the American dream says, get all you can, can all you get, then sit on the can. And I think that's actually pretty accurate. Get all you get, uh, get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. And the idea that you have to work hard uh, and then when you do work hard, you have a right to that, and you should hoard it and just take care of yourself. And that's the, same, uh, that's the same temptation the Israelites experienced of get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. But God said, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, trust me to fill your can. And then the extra I give you is for filling other people's cans. And that's powerful, that uh, we can trust Jesus to fill our cans. And the extra he gives us is gracious and generous and motivates us to fill other people's cans because we trust that God's already filled my can. I have what I need because God's taking care of me. And so his grace empowers me to fill other people's cans. As I was looking for examples of what does this look like um, and what would this, this is a pretty radical idea and counterintuitive, so what would it look like Um, What does radical generosity look like that brings equality and justice? And I was reminded uh, of examples in the early church. Acts 4 through 5 talks about this, both a really great example and a really bad example. In Acts 4, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all uh, that there, was no, there were no needy persons among them. For from, that time to, uh, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet what this is not fair you know those people worked hard for those fields or they were passed down in their families and they may have been sentimental and special and um you know produced a lot of uh, produce or wealth for them and they brought it generously anyways and they brought it to meet the needs of the church and that grace they experienced from god overflowed into generosity in their lives and it absorbed evil that other people in their church were experiencing. It interrupted their suffering with re- relief and love, and it said, injustice stops with me. That is not fair, but that's good. And it was, they did that so much so that they eliminated need from their church. What would that look like? And as I thought of, wow, that's a crazy, amazing example I was reminded of so many examples from our church and examples that I've seen of people from our church doing exactly that radical generosity. Um, I was thinking of this when the Seiferts had a hit and run on their car and uh, Chelsea and Jamie saw that injustice and stepped in the gap and uh, interrupted that suffering and absorbed the impact of evil by loaning them their extra car. That's generosity. That's radical generosity. When Trevor and Alex saw the injustice of a child neglect and child abuse, they stepped in in foster care, and they said, Injustice stops with us. And they absorbed the impact of evil, and they interrupted the cycle of suffering with relief and love. When um, Austin and Tirza saw the injustice, uh, the racial injustice experienced by people of color in our, in our city, they stepped in and said, how can we create conversations where we can learn how to step in and say injustice stops with us? That's generosity. When uh, Rick and Sylvia have see the injustice of people needing food and being hungry, they step in with the extra food they have and are generous with that. When Mark uh, Glebe saw that Rick and Sylvia's car was um, vandalized and destroyed, he stepped in in that injustice and absorbed the impact of evil and interrupted their suffering with relief and love, and he fixed their car. Um, when, uh, when the Lubecks saw, if you remember, Zach Munoz's, um, the injustice done against Zach Munoz, that left him homeless, they stepped in and they absorbed some of that impact and they provided him a room and he lived with them, uh, providing him with relief and love. That's radical generosity that brings equality and justice and interrupts suffering and brings, brings justice to people. So I, I start thinking, okay, what extra or surplus has God given me? How can I recognize, oh my goodness, God has filled my can. He has met all of my needs. What are the ways in which uh, that has overflowed? And that he intends uh, for me to pass on to other people. Uh, I think the easy ones to think of right off the, you know, right off your top of my head are always time, money, and energy. But those are really significant. Those are extra that God may or may not have given some of us of time, money, and energy. Um, and in some ways, I think that example from the Macedonians is helpful. They gave financially. Sure, if you have extra money, Awesome. Or Jesus' example is really helpful. He gave his presence, his time, his energy. And that's really powerful as well. Both are generosity. Some other examples I think of literally just from you that I've just taken from you are giving excess from your garden to people who don't have fresh vegetables, giving of your time through babysitting hours, Uh, giving of a spare room in your house to somebody who needs it, Uh, giving an extra car to somebody who needs to be able to get to work, Uh, Giving of your tools. Literally, I think all of the guys in this church, their tools are at somebody else's house. And that's incredible generosity. That's incredible. Uh, Emotional energy. If you have emotional energy and bandwidth to listen to the suffering and trials of other people and sit there and be with them and hear them and exercise compassion and empathy, that's generosity. That's giving of yourself. Uh, Various skills or knowledge. I was on the phone this week with Carol saying... Carol, this is a, you know, a problem I'm facing. What should I do? And she shared her knowledge. She shared her skills and some practical ways to handle that problem. That's generosity. That's meeting each other's needs in a way that brings equality and justice. So what injustices or inequalities do we notice around us? I think uh, the things God brings to our minds are the things that really burn us and uh, upset us in the ways that they upset God. And so what injustices or inequalities do we notice around us? And how might our generosity absorb the impact of evil by interrupting the cycle of suffering with relief and love? And how together can we say injustice stops with us? I want to finish with this um, passage we read a couple weeks ago in chapter 5 of why living like Jesus matters even when it's hard. It says, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. Amen. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your generosity, your rich, uh, lavish generosity towards us in the ways you have just poured out blessing upon blessing upon blessing in our lives and um, in my life, given me so much more than I could ever need um, or use, um, both in the form of love through your son. Uh, you have loved uh, me more than anyone, and that just can overflow in my life to provide love. Um, and relief to others. And you've also so richly blessed us materially um, with the things you've given us as well as spiritually with uh, the spiritual skills and gifts you've given us. Um, Father, in whatever way your spirit um, opens our eyes to the surplus or extra you've given us, uh, would you please also open our eyes to the injustices around us and to the inequalities around us and um, give us insight into the ways you desire Um, you are extra to meet those inequalities and to stand in the gap with those injustices. Um, Father, we desire to be a church that stands together and says injustice stops with us. And we desire to be people who are generous and we want to grow in this grace of generosity. And grow in this skill together, um, and we ask that you your power would uh, move powerfully among us, your grace would move powerfully among us, we would experience your grace uh, to the point that it overflows in our lives in generosity and uh, eliminates need from our church and from our community and from our city. Uh, Father, we bless you and the uh, immense and abundant and lavish generosity you have given us, and we desire to respond in turn. Thank you for being so good to us. In your name we pray, amen.